you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Church, we're going to continue in our um, sermon series in the book of Proverbs. Um, Today we're looking at um, what the Bible has to say about words. If you have a Bible, could you please turn to chapter 10 um, of Proverbs, or otherwise the um, verses will be on the screen behind me. So we're reading from um, Proverbs chapter 10. Um, The first lot of verses is verses 11 to 14. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offences. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. Verses 18 to 21. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. When words are many, transgressions is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. Verse 31. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks again, Justine. Long time no see, church. Good to see you again. Uh, my name's still Nick, and you're still sitting on a hill, so welcome. Uh, if you are new or visiting, who here came for dedications? Let's put our, give a warm seat on a hill welcome to all those visitors. Awesome to have you with us. And I guess to catch you up, what we do at City on a Hill is, is we believe that the Bible is, is God's word to us. These are uh, words breathed out by him over thousands of years, upwards of 40 different authors. Uh, and yet a, a singular story is written uh, in the Bible. Uh, what we normally do is take certain books, there's 66 books in the Bible, we take certain books and we, we dive into them for, through a series, through a number of weeks. And what we've uh, found us in is in uh, a series in the middle of this book of Proverbs, a, a book that was written some 3,000 years ago uh, with all sorts of Proverbs like the ones we just read out. And we have uh, gone through different parts of the, that book, different Proverbs in that book, uh, focusing on different topics. We've looked at money, we've looked at friendship, we've looked at marriage, we've looked at parenting, we've looked at justice, and today we turn to our next topic. I'm going to pray for us, uh, and then we're going to dive in. So please pray with me. Gracious God, we, we truly do believe that, that this uh, book is your book. This, these words are, are your words. And so would you help us now to understand them? so that we might understand you. Would you help us now to see what you are saying through them, so that we might be pointed to to the story that you've been writing through history, the story that's written in your scriptures. Lord, would you help us uh, hear from you today? And would you make uh, the the Word of God, the, the, the Word of life, Jesus himself, alive to us today? Make him as big and as beautiful as he really is. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, today is our penultimate week in the series, our penultimate topic. We are, as Justine said, looking at the topic of words, our our speech, how we talk. 
Uh, our history and, and our world is really punctuated by different epic moments of words. Some of those words or phrases kind of sit on us as humans, sit on humanity in our human consciousness. Uh, I could bring this to mind. You might know what I'm talking about. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. One phrase, and there is a whole story behind that phrase. I have a dream that one day my four little children will live in a nation where they're not judged where they are judged by the content of their character rather than the colour of their skin. Some words change the world. Uh, maybe there's other words that, that haven't kind of been known so universally and yet they've changed your life. Will you marry me? Or perhaps fitting for this morning, mama. There are words that, that sit upon us deeply and have a real impact. At the same time, apparently, through research, we can tell that the average human speaks about 10,000 to 20,000 words per day. And so we might be prone to think that most of our words are just kind of just blabbering out of our mouth meaninglessness. They're mundane, they're inconsequential, they don't really matter. We're not Martin Luther King, we're not Neil Armstrong. Well, Jesus raises the stakes for how we should think about our words. Because when Jesus uh, was walking amongst us, he, he said a lot of words, uh, but there's one particular phrase that is haunting for us who have mouths and tongues. He said this, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. And so Jesus raises the stakes. That there is no single meaningless word that you have ever spoken. Nothing is private to the one who matters. Nothing is meaningless to the one to whom we have to give an account. And so that phrase, that reality, makes today's sermon quite dangerous for us. And so here's kind of your out. You know, today, through your listening, through my telling of this reality, that kind of might add to our culpability on that day when we stand before the God who made us, that we are without excuse for how we have used our words. Thankfully, God wants us wants to help us. And so he's given us uh, his word. He's given us the Bible. He's given us, particularly today, the, the book of Proverbs. He's given us wisdom. And so he wants to help us think thoughtfully about how we use our words. And it has been said that the book of Proverbs is primarily a book about words, about how we talk. And so we're going to bounce around through some of the verses that we just heard read out for us and some others uh, in Proverbs and throughout the Bible to get some insight into how we can be people of wisdom when it comes to using our words. Specifically, I think there are four things that the, the Bible would have us say or have us know about words. Uh, number one, wisdom knows what words are. Wisdom knows what words are. We couldn't think about using words without kind of pausing and thinking, well, what, what, what are we actually doing when we speak? What actually are words? And so let's just go back to the beginning. The Bible tells us how our, our universe came to be, that it wasn't an accident, it wasn't a meaningless collision of pre-existent atoms. Nothing was there. And then God spoke. And He said, let there be light, and there was light. Let there be vegetation, and there was vegetation, and so on and so forth. The world was created through God's Word. Of course, He used means. Of course, He used things. Of course, He used matter. But that matter came to be through God's Word. 
And that tells us that, that words are tied to the character and the person of the one speaking. So when God speaks, he's so powerful, he's so pure, that his words have creative power. He can speak and it happens. God's not just created, but crafted history through his words. Just a couple of chapters into the Bible, where there's this moment where uh, kind of evil breaks into the world, deceives Adam and Eve, and God's uh, sending judgment or curses upon uh, the serpent that caused it. And he plots out the fact that there's going to be good and evil at war with each other, but one day there's going to be a seed, a child, who's going to rise up and crush the head of the serpent. And history has played that out ever since. We know that to be the first prophecy, the first prediction of Jesus having come and done what he did for us on the cross. So when God makes promises throughout history, once he says it, it's going to happen. You could take half of the Bible, the Old Testament. It's a series of of judgments of God against uh, powerful nations and powerful kings and kingdoms and political uh, movements. And yet when God says something against them, with all their power and all their influence and all their clout, suddenly they start to crumble under the weight of what God has merely said. And so God's Word is powerful because God Himself is powerful and his word comes from who he is. But I don't know if you know this, I don't know if you've recognized, but, but, but we are not God. And so our words have not merely the kind of power. You, 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 you could try this at home. I, I, I've tried this at home before. I say, let there be a clean room. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Let there be a finished dinner. The, the words just go straight over my kid's head. It, it, it doesn't happen. Please, put your lunchbox out of your school bag onto the kitchen bench. It takes about eight times for that eventually to happen with, under much coercion. We don't have merely, or nearly the kind of power that God does have, but we are made in God's image. And so like Him, our words are tied to our character and to the limited power that we do have. Like Him, our words communicate our very being. They come from deep within us. Jesus said this famously prior to the the quote that I I shared before about the the day of judgment. He's talking about how uh, kind of the fruit of our lives reveals who we are. And he says this, he says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. And so what words are is that they're, they're an expression of who we are. Proverbs 29 talks about when a, when a fool, through their words, gives full vent to their spirit. And so wisdom tells us that our words don't come from nowhere. Our words aren't, aren't, aren't an accident. Our mouths are vents for our hearts. What we say comes from deep within us, from our hearts. And so that makes our words particularly revealing. And it's fitting again today that kids can particularly reveal that about our hearts. Uh, several years ago, I remember when, when my oldest son, Axel, uh, he was a, a toddler. And I remember I was driving in the Burwood One car park. Now, if you have been to our church for some time, you will know how often the Burwood One car park comes up as a, a fitting illustration for what I'm trying to say. And I am, I am awaiting a sermon on hell to give full expression <laughs> to 
the, what is analogous to the Burwood One car park just in, in, in Burwood East. Uh, because if you get out of there unscathed, you've done really well. Uh, and so I was, uh, you know, as, as, a, as a driver, I have a tendency to spill out of my heart uh, how I'm feeling about the cars uh, around me. And in this case, in the, in the Burwood One car park, I was uh, driving down the, the narrow corridors of that car park and a, a car started kind of just inexplicably uh, kind of backing out of a, a, a car park. It was being very sanctifying at the time. And so I was about to let rip again with what my heart was feeling towards this other driver. And yet, before the words could even get to my tongue, the, the two-year-old strapped to uh, their car seat in the back said, Come on, man! <laughs> he had learnt how to respond to other drivers uh, around me, particularly in the Burwood One car park, uh, and had responded in kind. And in that moment, hearing what normally comes out of my, my mouth and, and my heart, out of his little mouth, in that very mundane, completely inconsequential, seemingly, moment where it wasn't epic, the stars hadn't, hadn't kind of aligned, and this was really, this was going to be a powerful kind of stepping onto the moon kind of speech. No, it was in that mundane moment that God highlighted to me the power of my words and, and where my words are really coming from. That they're coming from a heart of impatience, a heart of self-centeredness, a heart of everybody else needs to get out of my way so that I can do what I need to be done, that my will might be done. And so the Bible tells us, wisdom tells us that our words are a vent, or our mouths are a vent of our hearts. And as mundane as those 20,000 words that you are going to speak today might feel to you, our words carry moral status. They reflect the strength or the lack of strength of our hearts. And so wisdom knows what words are. Uh, words are the fruit of our inner life. As your mouth speaks, when it does, your heart has already done it. So this is why when we read the book of Proverbs on words, it also shows us, number two, not only do, uh, does wisdom tell us what words are, wisdom tells us that words have weight. Words have weight. We, we heard that in, in part of our Bible reading in Proverbs uh, chapter 10, verse 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love's, love covers all offenses. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. Even more succinctly and sharply, Proverbs 18 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. So even though our words don't have creative power, our words have emotional power. We can use our words for life, to, to build people up, maybe complimenting and, and, and telling people that they're, they're good at, at what they do, they're good at, at something that they've, they've done. Maybe reminding people about their value before the God who made them. Maybe telling the people that you have, have chosen to give your life to how much you love them and how committed you are to them. We can clarify the, the message of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. We can pass on to the next generation wisdom and, and knowledge about what, what makes life work well, what wisdom is. We can express gratitude and, and multiply it 
to other people's hearts. We can talk to God in prayer. We can comfort people in times of sorrow. We can call people back from that which might harm them. But our words can also be used to bring about which leads to death. We can tear people down. We can assault people's senses with the language that we use. We can use our our posture, our tone to intimidate, to threaten. We can spread lies or gossip, half-truths, false teaching. We could entice or manipulate or convince people to sin. We could mock. We could abuse. We could joke and then say it was just half a joke. We used to say in the playground in primary school, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And we said that as kids because we didn't know what we were talking about. We hadn't yet felt the the weight of what words would really do in our lives because it's completely wrong. Words might not break our bones, but they probably do something far worse. They break our spirit. Words have a, a powerful impact And we know this as well, don't we? Because sometimes we're confronted with the weight. We're confronted with that impact. We might say something sharply in a disagreement. And we say it because of our our lack of self-control. And as soon as we say it, we see the, the impact that it's just had. And we hear ourselves say it. And we say, oh, no, 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 I, I, I didn't really mean it. Well, the reality is that you did mean it. Your heart meant it. And yet you didn't want to get caught out by saying it. And so marriages can be saved or destroyed by words. Families can be united or torn apart by words. Kids can be beaming with potential or stifled with trauma, all because of words. Even now, you can probably bring to mind words that weigh on you. Words that have had an impact upon you. I can do it for myself. Words from decades ago. Some of those words that give me strength and some which cut me down. And so words come from deep within us, words come with moral status, and that means that they land with emotional weight. They come with meaning, they have an impact. Author Paul Tripp says it this way, words give life, words bring death. You choose. And so a moment of self-reflection here, think about your own use of words, think about your own vocabulary, think about the 20,000 words per day that you send out into the heart's of others. Are you spending that amount of words a day on that which gives life or that which tears down, that which brings death? Is your mouth an an open vent for life-giving oxygen into the souls of all those around you? Or is your life spilling out relational toxins that causes chaos and brings the people down around you? You have that kind of power. You have that kind of influence. And so wisdom knows that what you say is going to make that kind of difference. And so if words come from within us, words come with real weight, what does Proverbs have to say about us using them wisely? Well, in fact, Proverbs has a a lot to say, and and, uh, we couldn't possibly uh, uh, kind of accumulate all of uh, the passages that speak to words, but just a, a few thoughts on how to speak. Wisdom knows how to speak. With ten to 20,000 words a day, that is a lot, 
And Proverbs warns us about how dangerous that might be. Proverbs 10, 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. And so if those 20,000 words are unthoughtful words, there is a lot that could go wrong. In the New Testament, the book of James, which is sometimes known as kind of the wisdom uh, of, of the second half of the Bible, the, the New Testament. In that, James writes, if anyone doesn't stumble in what he or she says, then you're essentially a perfect person. Because if you can bridle your tongue, you can control your whole life. It's, it's, it's the hardest thing to tame. And so there are many proverbs in life, uh, in the Bible, that, that tell us about what to avoid such is the danger of our tongue and how loose it is. Some of that talk that Proverbs points out and, and pokes at is, is probably actually talk that you and I take for granted as how modern, normal humans communicate. Maybe it's office gossip. That's a very hard phrase, anyway. Uh, about the, the, the latest management decision at the office. Proverbs 20. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. Maybe we have a habit to kind of uh, flatter people by, by kind of subtly exaggerating how we compliment them so that we might just be, be able to subtly kind of manipulate them to like us or to do what we would want them to do. Well, Proverbs 26 says, A lying tongue hates its victims and a flattering mouth works ruin. There's even a proverb essentially speaking to the classic Aussie male banter that I have, have grown up with and was pretty much my sense of humor for the first 18 years of my life. Proverbs 26, 18, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. That is the average way we Aussie men relate to each other. And yet, what Proverbs is saying is not that every single time you do that, people are going to die, or there's going to be ruin. No, these are, these are principles, not promises. And so it's going to be fine until it's not. And probably a lot of us in this room could bring to mind experiences where it went one joke too far and suddenly there was fire and there was conflict. And so what I want you to notice here is the, the stark imagery that Proverbs uses about the consequences of our speech, of our language. Proverbs 25, 18 is a classic example. A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. It's very stark language. And there's a whole junk drawer of language that the Bible identifies like this. We could summarize it as, as foolish language, false talk, or foul language. This is the kind of language Proverbs says is, is essentially verbal violence. It's like a war club, a sword, and an arrow. And that our 20,000 words are, are prone to this. So that's, that's kind of our natural way of speaking. Like for me, that, that, that one day in the Bird One car park. Well, that, that is true. It, it, doesn't it reveal the natural state of our hearts? Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so words like these reveal hearts like ours, that our hearts are, are prone to violence. Our words are often the easiest weapons that we can find to lash out. And so there's a lot of wisdom that we could glean, uh, could glean from Proverbs about speaking. 
we could read the proverb about how it's probably wise to have a bit of emotional intelligence when you communicate and think about timing. Proverbs 27, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Maybe we could look at a, a proverb about you know, the importance of the tone that you use. Proverbs 25, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a, silver of, a setting of silver. We could notice the, the effectiveness and how it just goes better if you communicate with, with patience and with gentleness. Proverbs 25, with patience a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue will break a bone. And so maybe you need to change your friends because your friend's language and vocabulary is becoming your language and vocabulary and you're being led toward this kind of speech. Maybe you need more self-control. Maybe you need more positivity to multiply gratitude into your life. Maybe you need to lift your eyes to, to bigger picture things instead of only ever gravitating to kind of small talk, meaningless kind of language. We could go on for all the different things that we could do as strategies, but the reality is, is you and I don't need a strategy. I've heard before that the story of a student from, from Yale Divinity School. You can imagine the kind of students at Yale Divinity School, very, very proper. Uh, and this particular student was unhappy with the grade that he got in, in, a, in, a new t- in an Old Testament class, in an essay that he had written. And so he asked his professor, how, hey, next time, next time I have an assignment, next time I have an essay, how can I improve my grade? I really want to do better. How can I do better? And the press, professor's response or feedback was, Become a deeper person. Become a deeper person. The coldest feedback that any student has ever received. But isn't that the issue about so much that we want to change in our lives? That we don't need more life hacks. We don't need more tips. And to change your language, you don't need to wash your mouth out with soap and water. And you don't need to kind of just have that impulse before you say something to think, oh, I don't want to say that. My mum wouldn't have wanted me to use that word. No, what's going to change our hearts is What's going to change our language is is deepening the well from which those words spring. And Proverbs tells us exactly this. Proverbs 4, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And so wisdom tells us that our words are so pervasive and they come from such a central place of our very being that we need to build the kind of character And we need to have the kind of disposition. And we need to reflect on the kind of truths and the kind of realities that make us the kind of person that will have something worthwhile to say, that will know what to say and when, that exudes the desire to build people up instead of tearing them down, that wants to champion and encourage the people around us instead of keeping them close to us just so that we can stand above them in our own minds. And so what are we going to do about that? Where are we going to find the kinds of wealth, the kind of hearts that's going to bring out words that lead to life? Well, here's the fourth thing, final thing. Wisdom knows what has been spoken. Wisdom knows what has been spoken. This week, I was listening to the story of Masab Hassan Yusuf. Uh, in his autobiography that he's written, it's called The Son of Hamas. Uh, he is the son of an imam, who was one of the founders and one of the religious leaders of Hamas, the group in Palestine. And what makes this book, or his story, book-worthy is that though he was essentially the prince of Hamas, he was up there in the higher echelons, uh, he was meeting uh, with with Yasser Arafat, he and his father, Uh, he was at the kind of the the centre of of what we've seen 
play out in the world now. At the same time as that, he worked for 10 years for the Shin Bet, which is the Israeli secret service. He was undercover, helping them to limit the loss of life. And so here's a guy who more than many knew what violence was. Here's a guy who more than many knew, knew what sowing death might look like, knowing, uh, knowing what conflict felt like. He was at the center of what we're seeing right now, as at least in my lifetime. It's, it's lasted the whole course of my lifetime, this historical, intense, ongoing conflict between Israel and Palestine. And in the midst of that unique position that Massab was in, in his 20s, Massab became a Christian. And as I listened to, to Massab recount his, his testimony, he was able to kind of piece together the things that, that ultimately brought him to Jesus. And, and one of those things was when he was reading the words of Jesus, reading the New Testament, he described what was compelling about him. He said, all his words were beautiful. All his words were beautiful. You know, it's the opposite of how you might describe my, my words. It's the opposite of how you might describe our words. That what is compelling about Jesus is that his words don't bring violence, his words don't bring people down, his words bring beauty and bring life. See, the Bible tells us that when God created with his word, he didn't stop speaking, that he has continued to shout at creation through the megaphone of what he's doing in each and every moment, the sun rising and going down again, the birds singing, the rain coming down, the heat hitting our backs, that He is telling our world something, that you were created with meaning and with purpose, that this world isn't an accident, but there is symmetry, that there is order. And that comes from a God who put things in order and put it together. And God has continued to speak through His Word, the Bible, for thousands of years into His creation. But there did come a time where, where God needed to give a, a final word to the world. And so he came himself in the flesh, in Jesus. Christmas happened. And Jesus came with a life, not just where every word was beautiful, but where every word was also filled with authority. The biographies, the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life tell us that crowds flocked to him because they had never heard someone speak with such authority. The eyewitness testimony also tells us about that message, that he spoke with authority, that it was good news. He brought a message to the world. He brought good news to the world. And that good news was that, pointing out the bad news, that, that you and I indeed do have hearts inclined toward death. We have hearts that have broken from our Creator, rejected or ignored Him, and started to live life our own way. That as we use our words poorly, sinfully, for violence, even in response to that, God hasn't left His creation and flicked us away, but out of love has come to us Himself. Jesus first recorded words in the, in the Gospel of Mark, one of the biography biographical accounts, so repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus went around telling that, not to scold people, but to invite them to come and, and see how they were made, see for what they were made, see for whom they were made, to turn from our own way and instead turn to His way. But the turning is not committing to, to working to be a better people, not committing to, to working to speak more purely, 
not kind of wanting better moral performance. No, Jesus invites us simply to believe, to trust, to put at the center of our lives, not our own way and our own self, but to put Him at the center of our lives, that we might lean on Him, to believe that Jesus died perfectly in our place for our sin and that Jesus died, uh, that Jesus rose victoriously in conquering our sin and offering us eternal life. And so Jesus came with a message. He came with words. Words so powerful that much like the first words uh, that were ever spoken, they create. In our case, they recreate. They can give us new hearts and take us from hearts of death toward hearts of life. And so if you're here this morning and you, you testify, hey, I'm on team Jesus. I love God. You've, you've done that because Jesus spoke into your heart. And by so doing, he raised your heart to new life. And so we pray that we might continue to lean back on that message, the word that creates new life. One of the uh, other eyewitness accounts uh, of Jesus' life uh, comes from the Apostle Peter. Uh, He was the source behind the book of Mark. But there's a moment where Jesus is teaching the crowds. And instead of the crowds flocking to him, at this point, the crowds are turning away from him and and, and walking away. And they're doing so because the words of, of, of Jesus were hard. Take up your cross and follow me, he said. And so Jesus turns to those most committed to him, his disciples, and he says, are you guys, you going to go away as well? Are you going to leave me as well? And the apostle Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Jesus' words were beautiful. Jesus' words were authoritative. And Jesus came with words for eternal life. I deserve shame, embarrassment, and shock over the words that I have spoken out into the world and into the hearts of other people. And yet Jesus has come, praise God, Jesus has come with words that are far more powerful than my words. Jesus' words of eternal life overwhelm my words of death. And so the beautiful good news of Christianity is that, yes, I was right in quoting Jesus at the beginning. One day we're going to face our maker. And we're going to be called to stand before him and give an account of our lives. And yet the message of Christianity is that that judgment, the verdict has already come. That Jesus entered into our world so that he might die in our place for us on the cross. And if we hide ourselves in him at the foot of the cross, we can live our lives free knowing that the judgment has already been rendered. When God calls us to account, he will read the life of Jesus. Beautiful words, authoritative words, words of eternal life. Jesus has taken our judgment in our place. When we put our trust in Jesus, not only do we get to rest in the fact that he's lived our life for us, but we get his power to rise up and live a new life for him. And God loves us so much that he is committed to transforming us to be like him. And so even this morning, he wants to transform us and replace our former vocabulary, replace our former words because he wants to replace our hearts. And he wants to give us hearts of new life that are committed to him. That transformation starts with another word. In the book 
of Romans that we've heard already this morning in the dedications. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so the question for us as well is, to whom shall we go? Who alone has the words of eternal life? Who alone has risen from the dead? Who alone has lived a life of beautiful words and yet died for those who hadn't? Well, wisdom tells us to go to the embodiment of wisdom, to go to Jesus himself. And so I'm about to pray and land the plane on this moment. Uh, I'm going to pray that, that we would be a people who so know Jesus that our words follow our hearts and our hearts follow Jesus. Uh, but as I do, I'm going to call you to respond. Uh, so if you're comfortable, feel free to uh, close your eyes and bow your heads. I'm going to pray for you and for your heart and for your words that flow from your heart. But if you're here uh, and you want to particularly take a moment to kind of, I guess, freshly commit in your life to being a, the kind of person with the kind of heart that follows Jesus in speaking words of life and not words of death, I'm going to ask you right now, would you put up your hand so that I know to pray specifically for you? Thank you. If you, want me in, if you want to be included in my thought as I pray for you, please put up your hand. Awesome. Thanks for taking that step. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, we thank you that such is your, your love for the world that you gave your only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Lord, we stand before you contrite, sorry, repentant of our words and even more than that, of the hearts from which our words flow. God, such is your, your love for us that you've, you've, you've given us life and yet such is our sinfulness that, that we've run from you, we've rejected from you and we've put ourselves at the center of our lives, we've put ourselves at the center of our hearts. Lord, we need your grace. And so we thank you so much for the word made flesh, Jesus himself, who has come and done what we couldn't do, come and taken on what we deserve, and come and risen in power. And so all praise and glory and honor be to you. And Lord, today, and for the, particularly for the people who have raised their hand just now, Lord, I pray for fresh power. I pray for new hearts. And I pray that you would help each one of us have hearts that have been purified and made new as we confess that you are Lord and that you've been risen again. And so come and do something by your Holy Spirit in us that compels us toward you. Lord, if this morning is the first time that we've thought about you in decades, Lord, would you make that thought be weighty upon us as we leave this place this morning? Would that thought, would that weight, would that conviction not leave but linger? Help us have the, the power to be faithful to that as you call us home to you. And Lord, if we're here for yet another week, again in our weekly rhythms, Lord, we pray that you would come in uh, fresh power in such a way that you might change us even here and now so that you might mature us and deepen us and give us a heart that is a well from which fresh water, words of life might spring. Lord, apart from you, we can do nothing 
And so we pray that you would do it in us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.